So all of my plans of like what I thought my birth was going to be, I thought my doctor was going to be, all of that just went flying out the window. Welcome to the Inner Instinct podcast. I'm your host, Angie Tuari, and in each episode, our guests will be sharing their three moments of instinct. These are three defining moments in their lives when their instinct showed up and how that impacted them, depending on whether they listened to that intuition or not. I hope that these conversations break down the barriers to understanding your inner voice, help you believe in your instinct, and ultimately honor your deepest wisdom. We all have a gut instinct, the clarity of which depends on how much we choose to listen. When you do, I think you'll be astounded by how much your life can transform. It all starts with noticing the inner voice and listening to your deepest needs. This is what I call the inner instinct. And now is the time to unearth yours. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe and follow button. It makes a huge difference and means we can continue to share the power of energy and gut instinct. Thank you so much for all your incredible support so far. Now let's get into it. Hi, Leila. Welcome to the Inner Instinct podcast. Thank you so much for being here. For those of our listeners who don't know who you are, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, Angie. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this conversation. So my name is Leila Saad. I'm known in the world as an author, an educator, and a mentor for change makers, and known for writing the book Me and White Supremacy. But in my day-to-day life, that's not, <laughs> that's not who I am. In my day-to-day life, I'm a mother and a wife and a daughter, an introvert, a book lover, a good friend, and somebody who is very instinctive-driven and very intuition-driven. So I love being part of conversations like this because a huge part of, I think, the choices that I've made it, that have landed me in places where my work has succeeded has been from a place of listening to my intuition. So I love conversations like this. Amazing. That's so good to hear. A lot of us recognize that inner voice, but then a lot of us can't recognize, we Mm. can't tell the difference between the ego and that self-talk that is always quite negative or the intuition and when to act on it. Then sometimes we don't act on it. So it's amazing to hear you seem to be really in tune with your intuition Mm. and be guided by it throughout your life. Starting off with intuition, we like to do a check-in and it's a really honest, how are you instinctually feeling today? And it's really to share that there's no right way to feel. I think a lot of the time on podcasts, it's like a, hey, how are you doing? And I'm great, thanks. But that might not always be the way that we feel. So let's do a checkpoint on how you're doing today. Definitely. I love this. Oftentimes how we physically feel is like the entry point for what's going on inside. Physically, I'm tired. It's it's the, it's the it's not early morning or anything like that. It's actually approaching noon. But I've been going through sort of important turning point in my work that my intuition led me to making a decision that wasn't easy, but that was really necessary. But I'm in the grieving phase of the loss of like the you know what I thought was going to happen versus 
what the reality is. So I'm really allowing myself and giving myself lots of space to just be with where I'm at, which is that I'm sad, I'm grieving, hence the tiredness. (laughs) I haven't had I haven't been able to sleep as well as I would have liked. And at the same time, I also am really trusting. I described myself to a friend recently and I said, I'm really strong. But what I mean by that is not just like a resilience that I have, but I'm very soul strong and I'm very faith strong. And I trust in my path. And I trust that when things are going in a way that I wasn't anticipating or planning, that that is for a reason. And it is for a reason because I'll use it that way, right? It's not just like things happen and whatever happens is the correct thing. No, I don't, I don't believe that. I think things happen and we get to choose what we make of it. And so in this moment where I am grieving and I am giving myself space to be in that place, I also know that the choice that I made from a place of real agency is exactly what I need for my like next steps. And I'm going to make the most of it, essentially. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm going to always be looking for like, what are the golden nuggets here? What am I supposed to be getting out of this? What am I supposed to be learning? And how can I reinterpret this for my highest good? Because it is for my highest good. Thank you so much for your honesty there. It sounds like you're so guided by that inner knowing. Even Mm. when it sounds like if things have been in a difficult position for you, you're still trusting. Very much so. And I think the decision itself is easy because it comes from that inner voice, like you were saying. So it's the decision part is easy because I'm actually not fighting myself and I'm not betraying myself. I'm actually listening to myself. But it's hard because the consequences or repercussions are not what I would have wanted. And that's a part of life as well. When we don't get our way, but then trusting that for whatever reason, this is the path that we're on. 100%. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I'd love to dive into your first of the three moments of instinct. So three moments within your life that have shaped you, that have changed you, that when you were asked this question, these were the three key points Mm. that came up. And we are starting with something that happened during your pregnancy. So talk me through that experience. Yeah, so I was pregnant with my first child, my daughter. And being a first time mother, you don't know what's going on. Everything is Everything you're experiencing, you're experiencing for the first time. And your body's changing and your emotions are changing. The world is changing. And so you have no setting for what is normal. But there was a a point in my pregnancy, and I actually had just been diagnosed with gestational diabetes. So again, it was like, oh my God, like when you're reading about pregnancy, those are not the things that you're thinking that's going to happen to me or, you know, but it had happened. And about a week or so later, I just noticed that the baby just wasn't moving very much and that her movements were just, they just felt very weak. And I wasn't due for like a checkup for another week, I think. But I just kept telling my mom, I was like, I don't know, I feel like something's not right. And she was like, well, you're further along in the pregnancy now. Sometimes that happens. There's less room. And I was like, no, I think I'm just going to go and check just to be on the safe side. And so I went, I went into the hospital that day and I 
honestly was just expecting something along the lines of, oh, it's just related to your diabetes or, you know, just something like that. So I didn't go with anybody. I went by myself in my most like schleppy clothes with like no plan of what was going to happen. As I get checked, you know, that they keep asking me, how long, how far along did you say you were? And I'm like, I'm this far along. And they're like, hmm, you're going to have to see the specialist. And so I'm like, what is happening? And so I get to see the specialist and he's like, you don't have any more, what is the liquid that's inside called? Like the the amniotic fluid. You don't have, it's all gone. Like it's not, there isn't any. And I was like, what do you, what do you mean? Where did it go? Cause I didn't have a moment of like, you know, uh, my water's breaking or anything like that. But they were like, it, you just, you just don't have very much fluid. And your baby is measuring a lot smaller for how far along you're supposed to be. And it looks like she's not getting enough food and oxygen through your placenta. So you're going to have to have an emergency C-section. My heart dropped, my like everything, my head is spinning. And also the hospital that I had gone to was a private one. And they were like, it's better that you go to like the government hospital because your baby's probably going to have to stay in the NICU for a good few weeks. And it's really expensive here. So we suggest you go to the government hospital. So all of my plans of like, what I thought my birth was going to be, what I, where I thought, like who I thought my doctor was going to be, all of that just went flying out the window. I had to call my husband and my mom and ask them to take me to the hospital. And I ended up staying at the government hospital over the weekend and they pumped me full of like injections to build up the baby's lungs and then delivered me by C-section, you know, a few days after that visit. Um, And she was tiny when she was born. She was just like a kilo in weight. And we had to stay in the hospital for quite a while. But it was like this introduction of like, you have to trust when you feel like something's not right. Trust it and listen to it, even though it looks like there's no reason why this should be happening. So that was my (laughs) that was my first like mommy moment of like, you you have to trust that voice. Yeah, a mother's instinct, Mm -hmm. especially when you're pregnant and you're experiencing it. I think there are so many different external voices, but really you are the one that knows, you are the one with the baby in your belly, you are the one experiencing different sensations, you are the one that instinctually knows if something doesn't quite feel right. To go and check and to listen to that is incredible. And obviously it had such a huge impact on what would have happened to your daughter. You know, when you're pregnant, you're also hypersensitive. So you feel like are they just going to think I'm making a big deal out of nothing? Are they just going to think I'm overreacting? And I think being a black woman, there's a lot that comes with being in medical settings. I will say, I don't live in a country where like whiteness is like the standard of who is a quote unquote normal human being. It's not like if I had been in the UK or if I was, uh, you know, a US citizen or anything like that. And at the same time, there's a real helplessness and a powerlessness that you feel. And I really appreciate myself for listening to myself and just being like, just check me, right? (laughs) Can you just check me? Just let's just all make sure that everything is okay. And if I hadn't, you know, like I said, I wasn't due for another follow up the next till the next week. And if she wasn't getting enough food and oxygen, who knows, you know, what point we would have been at by that point. So I just dread to think about it, honestly. Oh, it was a real entry into into that life as a mother. 
that's an incredible story and something that we need a lot of power within us to put our foot down and say, I need you to check this. Especially to medical professionals, you're right. We often feel we don't want to make a fuss and tell someone how to do their job, but you know, this extends beyond pregnancy to any aches and pains we might feel in our body. I think a lot of us feel we don't have the power or we don't have the time or we don't give ourselves the time to go and ask to be checked out. But also we might go to a doctor and have all the tests done and everything comes back saying that all is fine, all is well. But even then instinctually, you know something still isn't quite right and you kind of have to do the digging on your own sometimes. There's so much to it. And and when we're talking about healthcare, there's also like, you know, the privilege of being able to have this care, right? And to have your voice heard and to be believed. It's like we have we have that intuition, we have that in inner voice, and we also have like society and ways in which, like institutionally and systemically, our inner voice that we trust may not be listened to and trusted by other people. Yeah. And I think that segues really nicely on to your next moment of instinct, which was around coming out of the traditional corporate career that you had and following that career path and actually going on to build what you consider your true, real and right path. I started my career in corporate tax, which is so weird to think about because first of all, I didn't study like tax. I studied law. I ended up in a career in tax because I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I didn't know what I wanted to be or do. And I just started applying for jobs and ended up getting one at like PricewaterhouseCoopers. And I think about Simu Liu, who's the, you know, the star of um, the Disney movie Shang-Chi. And he had this post once where he talked about working at Deloitte and, you know, Deloitte, PwC, these are like these big four accounting firms. And, you know, he talks about like his journey of being in that place, being in that job, being in that corporate world and being successful by other people's standards, by his parents' standards. Same here. But just really knowing like this isn't for me. I am not supposed to be here. And I really felt that. And I really felt like I'm just going to be here until I figure out what I'm doing next. But I don't know what that is yet. My journey into like what was initially life coaching started out from the work that I was doing personally within myself after experiencing what I now know is depression and uh, panic attacks, like generalized anxiety in university and finding through a friend personal development books and CDs that really helped me with like mindset stuff at the time. And so that's how I kind of got into like personal growth and things like that. And when I got married to my husband, I was like, I want to study life coaching. And this is like, what was it? 2008, it must have been. So like life coaching wasn't the thing that it is now. The coaching industry wasn't the thing that it is now. And especially in the part of the world where I live in, coaching wasn't a thing, period, full stop. But I was like, I know I have like this wonderful, amazing corporate job, like well-paying, respectable, whatever, but I want to go do this. And he just really backed me. And he was just like, whatever you want to do, like I'm here and I support you. But my, like my parents, (laughs) my family were just like, what? what is happening? What is, what is she doing? It took them until they saw like 
me really succeeding as an author for them to understand like she like she knows what she's doing in her life and she's going to be okay but i i started like studying life coaching i left that job i left the corporate world i moved into part time work um doing um corporate training so like te- like teaching soft skills and then from that like i explored other types of coaching like health coaching and other things and then i was like it isn't working i didn't have like the skills of an entrepreneur i didn't I, it was hard to find clients and so i went back to what was now my last job that i've ever had which was a part-time job working at a non-profit in a marketing role and i was there for a couple of years and i I appreciated being able to have a part-time job as a young like mother to a young child. I just really didn't like it and I worked really hard for a job I really didn't enjoy. And so one day I I came into the office earlier than everybody else and I sat down, opened my laptop and I had this like out of body out of I wrote it felt like I floated up out of my body. And I looked down at myself sitting at the seat and I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, it was hilarious to me. I was like, this is ridiculous. You're sitting in someone else's seat at someone else's job, living someone else's life when you know damn well you're supposed to be doing something else and there's another life for you out there and you're supposed to be building that. And you're approaching 30 and if you don't change things now, then you're going to be approaching 40 and it will be even worse, right? And and there'll be even less space for you to be able to pivot and move in because you'll be even more in this momentum of like stagnancy and um, and just unhappiness. And so in that moment, I made this decision, like when the moment is right and I'll know when it is, like I'll hear that in a voice, like now is the right time. You're going to leave this job and you're going to go start your own business and you're not going to give up. You're not going to do what you've done in the past where you tried it and it doesn't work and you give up. You're going to keep going no matter what. And so that happened, like it still blows my mind because that happened when I was 29. I'm 39 now. By the time I was 36, 37, I'd become like this, you know, New York Times, Sunday Times bestselling author. And it was like, I couldn't have known that when I had that moment, but I did know that there was a different and bigger and more meaningful and impactful life for me and that I wasn't living it. And I was being, I was betrayed. Again, it's like self-betraying or self-betraying by being at this job that, like I said, I worked so hard for because I, I do work hard but I hate it. I just hated it. And now being in this place where I'm on this cusp of like, wow, it's been a decade since that moment. And I wonder what the next 10 years are going to hold. And, you know, I shared at the beginning of this interview being again in this transition moment. And I can tell like, okay, like you'll know what's going to be happening and you'll move with it. And it's all going to work out the best because that's what's happened before. And that's the person you are. So yeah. That's that's what happened and I'm I'm still in awe that it happened. That's incredible. You mentioned there that your husband was really supportive. I think when we hear these inner voices, which a lot of the time don't have any rational backing and they sound like wild ideas that we just made up, having supportive mm. people around you, even if it's simply one person, can be so instrumental as to whether you then go and push forward with the idea that started in your head or you think 
yeah, no, they yes. think it's stupid. Let me leave it. I'll just stay in my conventional career that everyone else in society is telling me to do because that's what everyone does. And you don't then go against the grain to fulfill something else because a lot of people stay within a job that is unfulfilling because it's the thing that everyone just does. And if you have someone who gives you a little bit of doubt and you're not really strong in that belief, you can easily turn back on yourself and not actually move forward with your Mm -hmm. right path. And when you look at it like that, and you mentioned it earlier, when you had that out of body experience, looking down on yourself, realizing how ridiculous the situation was, then, then you're able to make a change. But I think we often don't stop to reflect on what are we doing on a daily basis and think to ourselves, is this actually fulfilling us? And if not, what is the point? And obviously there's financial stability that a full-time career offers, but so does your full-time career right now. I guess it's just having those moments of figuring out what would that right path look like for me? Yeah, and it's funny because my husband just joked with me the other day and I was like, it's so true. You know, because he's trying to comfort me because I'm like, uh, you know, I'm sad. And he's like, but nothing will be as bad as going back to those days, will it? And I was like, no. no. I was like, this is like first world problem. Again, it's not that the job itself was like a terrible place to work or anything like that, but it nothing feels as bad as betraying yourself. Nothing feels as bad as like knowing this isn't what I want. And I know that it is possible for me to go create what I want and I'm not doing it. That like nothing feels as bad as that. Um, but yeah, I really am grateful for my for my husband and our like relationship and the way that he's always supported me because he's very different than me I don't think he would describe himself as like an intuitive led person he's very practical very pragmatic we've been married 15 years like he's been in the same job same career and very happy (laughs) I've done all kinds of things he's very much like the stable rock and I'm very much the like let's go see what you know fires we can start and tend it's funny because you're describing my relationship (laughs) with my husband as well It's a good balance. It's a good balance. I think if he was like me, I don't think we would get along very well. So, you know, he he knows how to hold me and and vice versa. But it it really does help to have someone, even if it's just one person who just, you don't need them to see the dream for you. Because a lot of the times, like, I'll make decisions and he's just like, I don't get why you're making this decision. But I know you. And I know that the thing that you do always ends up working out for the best. So I trust that. Like, I trust you. I don't have to see what you see in order to trust you. And having someone in your corner like that, it's really helpful. But again, I also know that that's a privilege, that there are times when we don't have anyone who sees it. And we really have to be that friend to ourselves in that moment and really learn to block out the outside voices that are telling you, What you're doing and saying doesn't make sense. It doesn't track. It's not going to happen. And really just learn to just um, become this friend to yourself that the friend that you wish, you know, you had that would say, no, you, I trust you. Keep going. I believe in the vision that you have for yourself and I believe that you can go and make it. So, yeah. I've never heard anyone describe it in the way that you have when you say Mm. you're betraying yourself. And I think that's such a lovely way to look at it. 
the opposite of that for me is honoring. So either I do this thing that is a betrayal of me, like my inner voice and my inner instinct, or I honor it. And honoring, you know, because we sometimes we talk about like self-love and I and self-love is beautiful and important and it's a huge part of my practice. But there's something about honoring that feels very tangible. Again, it's like coming back to like being that friend to yourself. If my friend were to tell me, this is what I want for myself. I would honor that. You know, I wouldn't be like, well, you should, you should really not do that because this is, this is my opinion. This is what I think. But if they ask for feedback and they want feedback, but even then, you know, I'll give the feedback in a really compassionate way. But I would honor that they have a dream for themselves. They have an inner voice and an inner instinct and that I support that. So I, I really believe in the importance of honoring ourselves. You're a good friend mm -hmm. to yourself and to others. Mm -hmm. The word betray allows us to dive a little bit deeper into, okay, what are we going against? And then that takes us to a space of honoring. Yes, because I'll tell you what, Angie, a lot of the times the voice of like internal dissent for me, what I've noticed in the work that I do, a lot of the times the voice of internal dissent and internal like imposter syndrome and self-doubt and all of that, a lot of it is white supremacist capitalist patriarchal culture voice. And so when I got that really clear in my head, I actually really understood it is actually a betrayal when you do that because you're conforming to this culture that isn't even made for you to succeed and be happy anyway. So it kind of gives me that fire of like, no, I'm going to do it because in me doing it, like that's part of my liberation practice. And it's part of my self-love practice that says I'm worthy of being loved and being believed no matter what white supremacist capitalist patriarchy says or does. That's so true. That's such an interesting way of looking at it. A lot of these systems are ingrained within our minds without us even realizing that. 100%. Like it's it's the norm. It's it's what is normal and we we are born into it. It's there before we are even here right? We come into the world with it. We're conditioned into it. And this work of like anti-racism, anti-oppression, like it's about society and it's about systems and it's about institutions, but it's also very personal. And I think it, for me, it's also very spiritual work. And also when you hear a really big idea in your mind, it can feel quite overwhelming and therefore it's quite easy to push it to one side. But one thing I'm a really big advocate of is starting before you feel fully mm -hmm. ready. Because in some ways, you're never going to feel fully ready to go down this new path because yeah. it feels very scary and there's so many unknowns to it. And mm. I often try to put myself forward for things or pitch ideas and, 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 and I figure it out along the way once I get it. Because you will, because you're forced to. And if you believe in yourself and you trust yourself, then you can figure it out along the way. You don't have to have all the knowledge and every little bit of understanding of exactly where it's going to go for the next 10 years from day one. But I think the, the thinking that we do have to is what puts us off. I 100% believe that. Like I said, you know, when I made the decision to leave my job, the path that I saw was like, oh, I'm going to be a life coach. Like, that's what's going to, that's what I'm going to become. And that's what my career is going to be about. And that's not at all what <laughs> it's been about because along the way, I actually discovered while I may be good at coaching, I actually don't enjoy, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it as much as I enjoy writing. 
I don't enjoy it as much as I enjoy teaching, speaking. I much prefer a model of mentorship versus coaching because I want the ability to be able to like provide consultation, you know? And so if I had said, I think at the time, I'm going to leave this job and I'm going to go and become this and this and this, like the person that I've become, I wouldn't have even have known how to chart that path out. I believe for all of us, like what we do and the way that we do it, a lot of the times we are writing our own blueprints. We are writing our own, like our own journey and our own, and, and it comes from making plans, but it also comes from trusting that voice. And so there's no way to like work it out backwards. Like there's no like, in retrospect, I would have done this because it's like, no, I, I don't, I don't know that I would have. I think it's enough to have like a vision and the energy to like take those first few steps and this like resolve inside that no matter what, I'm going to keep doing what I need to do and what I want to do. But we don't have to have the whole picture. It's, it's impossible. All you have is the present mm-hmm. moment. And so much of the time we're thinking too much in the future when actually yeah. that's not guaranteed to us and we don't have that. So it is a case of, yes, future planning, goal planning. I am a big goal setter. But also bringing it back to what steps do I need to take today to stay in the present moment? I often say that I love clarity. Like clarity is like, one of the most joyful things, you know, that moment where you're trying to work out like, what is it that I do? Or like, what is it that's like coming next for me or whatever the thing is. And you get that moment of like clarity. It's just like, oh, it's such a good moment. And I also love being surprised and like things working out or things happening that you weren't expecting. And it's this moment of like, oh my goodness, like how did that find me or how did this happen? And I'm just going to enjoy it anyway. And we can't have that moment if we have every moment like planned out to a T. And those moments are the reminders that we can try and be in control as much as we like. But things will come to us mm-hmm. and find us in time and when that time is right for us. Mm-hmm that we, you know, things that we might not even have ever envisaged coming into our plans. If you're looking to learn techniques to tune into your own instinct and take better care of your well-being, then you'll be pleased to know I am giving all of our listeners your first month of our well-being platform unearthed for just one pound. You'll have on-demand access to over 170 yoga movement, breathwork, meditation, philosophy, Ayurveda classes, and exclusive early access to come on our retreats. Practice anytime, on any device, and from anywhere in the world. Hit the link below to join our community today. Let's talk through your third and final moment of instinct, which is around pivoting and expanding your work and finding your company become a good ancestor? Yes. So I founded this company. It's been a year now. It's been an incredible ride and a really beautiful um, practice of love. And where it came from for me, I had published Me and White Supremacy in 2020. 
And it went on to become this like really big success. And also at the same time, I was podcasting and running a book club. You know, any like creative thing we do has like its different phases. So I was in the phase of like harvesting and enjoying the fruit of the work that I'd been doing. Right. So I wasn't in the like planting the seeds phase or like tending and watering and taking care of the crops. I was like, no, like they are ready to be harvested and let's enjoy the crops and let's enjoy the fruits and let's enjoy this moment. And I I loved being there. I really want to emphasize like the importance of like not skipping through when we get to that mountaintop or when we get to that like pinnacle or whatever the case may be, that harvest moment that we don't just move on to the next goal or the next task or anything like that. So I took a moment to enjoy that moment, and I did. I will say what was unique about that moment, however, was that we were also in the midst of a global pandemic. We're in the midst of the Black Lives Matter protests in the wake of George Floyd's murder and everything that came with that. So it was also very bittersweet. And what I was finding was that a couple of things. I felt like I had reached a moment of completion with that particular body of work. There was nothing inside of me that was like, after writing this book and, and writing the Young Readers Edition book, write another version of me and white supremacy that's applicable in like different circumstances. I didn't feel any kind of drive or energy towards writing a me and white supremacy that was specific for like the workplace or even a version, and I'd been asked about this, like even a version that was like for black and brown people to do their work, right? Because that's that's also a different work of like examining our own internalized um, racism. Like nothing inside of me was like, yeah, that's the next step. That's what I really, really want to do. It was like, I just felt very complete. I felt like I'd been given this assignment. I said yes to doing it. I'd been faithful to it. I'd done it with all of my love and all of my energy. I'd done the work like behind the scenes. I'd done the work like out front. I'd been on a huge book tour, two book tours, one across the US, one in the UK. All of the media platforms that you can think of, I've been on them, right, to talk about this book. And I just felt complete. I just felt like it's done. Now this book and this work can go live out in the world. And I don't want to create a train the trainer program for it or continue it in any way. The work also takes a considerable toll on you. And I am not built for teaching this work. Like I'm not built as a DEI trainer. I'm not built to go into businesses and carry out this work. Just doing it once in the Instagram challenge, like that initiated this work. It took me a long time to recover from that. And, you know, we have to, you have to know your capacity of like, what am I made for? <laughs> and I'm not made for that. And so there was that. There was also the fact that this book had done so well. The thing with books are there's thousands of books that are put out each year. And not all of them are necessarily a big, huge, success when it comes to like sales or um, like hitting bestseller lists or anything like that. So to have done what that book did was this huge accomplishment. And I really truly understood that it was this huge accomplishment and particularly in 2020 in the year that it was published. Its second wave of success came because someone had been murdered. 
And so I felt this like internal, I don't even know how to describe it. It wasn't dissonance because my work did not emerge out of like, this thing has happened, so I'm going to create this. You know, I've been doing this work for some time and it just so happened to line up with this particular year. And I also don't want to ever give the impression that anyone who is doing anti-racism work or writing anti-racism books that they should feel like they're doing something wrong. Absolutely not. This work is needed. It's important. It just, for me, felt like I want the way that I make money to not carry this baggage. And so as grateful as I am for, for white me and white supremacy and you know what that will continue to do and and it will always be there it will always be a part of my journey i wanted to move into something else that didn't require me to talk to white people about racism didn't um wasn't um like interlinked or its success wasn't dependent dependent upon something traumatic happening but that was still about like social justice and so- social impact and as an author, I also really wanted to not have my income being dependent on the like predominantly white publishing industry. I wanted to make sure that I was building something that was for myself, that gave me joy, that gave me meaning, that was something that would allow me to like create this intergenerational legacy of impact as well as a you know financial abundance. And that just felt good to like make and to do, you know, and didn't require me to like set myself on fire in any way. And so that's where Become a Good Ancestor came from. And the thing is, I always knew there was a part of me that always knew that that was what was the the work was going to become and like the name of the business. And it's why I, I started the Good Ancestor podcast in at the beginning of 2019. When I was writing Me and White Supremacy, I wanted to make sure that I wrote Become a Good Ancestor as the um, uh, subtitle, because I was like, I'm going to plant the seed in this book of what the next work for me is. And so there was always like this, like, that's what's coming next. And I had forgotten, but when I started the business la- uh, last year in 2022, I had forgotten that I think in 2021, I had actually purchased the URL already. I didn't have anything to do with it. I was just like, I'm just going to buy it because I think I'm going to use it at some point. And so took a break at the end of 2022. We went on a like a family winter trip to the UK to visit family. Um, I have siblings there, friends. And it was the first time that I was like, I'm going to take a break and just kind of really switch off. When I was there, I was like, I think that this is what I want to do. I want to start this business and I want to like teach courses and be a mentor and do social impact work and really support anyone who's like a change maker and anyone who wants to help change the world, but they maybe don't know like what part they're here to play or they know, but they need support in how to do that you know, that's the work that I want to be doing. And so as soon as we got back from that vacation, I just like, it it felt like that same energy of like, when I know the moment is right, I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to quit this job and go into this thing. And the moment I came back, I announced my very small team at the time. I was like, this is what we're doing. We're going to be expanding. 
we're going to be growing, we're going to be creating this business. And that's what we did. And it's been an incredible ride. And I will say one of my favorite parts of it is actually the people that I've had the privilege to work with on this business. So people who were either like in our inner core team or contractors who I've worked with to like build out certain parts of the business. That has been my favorite part of it because each person that I've worked with has been so values aligned for me that they are people who are excellent at what they do. And they were at this moment of like, I don't want to, I want to do social impact work, but I don't want to do it in this way anymore. I want to do it in this other way. And it really lined up with what I was wanting for myself. And so it was this beautiful energy of like, I can't believe we get to do this together. And that's really been my favorite part of it. The community aspect. Very much so. Like not not being a rugged individualist who's like, I'm going to do this thing all by myself. I'm going to figure it out all by myself. And, and I'm going to make it look like I know everything. I started off last year and I was like, I know nothing. So I'm going to, and I know a lot of things. Like I'm a smart person, but I was like, I if I try and like do this, without any help, this is going to be very hard. So let me call in as much help and let me lean on and call in like the support of and expertise of people, of people who are leaders of what they do. Have you always been so driven by your instinct? And do you remember the first time that you felt it and really listened? I guess it sounds like all the experiences that you've had, you've then looked back at previous moments and it's driven you to trust even more because you've had those moments before. But what was that first moment for you? That's such a good question. Gosh, I think there's a few layers. So the first thing that you, when you asked that, the first thing that came up for me was my mom. My mom is a very intuitive person. It's not even intuitive. It's like, she knows things. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) She always knows things and it's like how do you know that and she's like I just do she has these moments of like insights of about people about things and you'll come and tell her something that nobody knows and she's like I already know I am the daughter of a very intuitive woman with like these clairsentient <laughs> powers right? but I would say at the same time like I've always been a very introspective and self-reflective person but I also grew up, I had a lot of self-doubt. I grew up being a little black Muslim girl and being in predominantly white Christian spaces. My lack of self-trust in those early years just came from like society reflecting back to me, like you're not the norm. And so you, you shouldn't trust yourself, right? Because the world is this and you're not that. But I think as I grew and having like this inherited sense of intuition from my mom, but then also just going through life and realizing like you've made decisions or you've moved forward with things because you were doing it in the hopes that other people would like you or approve of you. Like I, I, I think for example of like, I started by saying when I was talking about my job that I studied law. The reason I studied law was because I loved Ali McBeal and all of those like 90s lawyer shows. But as soon as I started the degree, I knew I really didn't like it. And like being the like first generation immigrant daughter, 
you know, and daughter of like black parents, like black African, you know, parents, it was like, I don't like this. And they were just like, you're just going to have to like it. (laughs) You're just going to have to find a way, keep going forward, you know, because being a lawyer is like one of those careers, you know, lawyer, engineer, doctor, it's just one of those careers. I think if I was the person that I am now and I knew that I didn't enjoy it and that I wanted to do something else, I would have just said, I'm just going to do something else, but I didn't. And also I wasn't the one paying for my degree. Right. So I can see like progressively over time that in the moments when I was doing things, whether it was studying law, whether it was working a corporate tax, working at that um, part-time job where I just kept ignoring it. And every time I did, my body would rebel against me. So I'd either end up with depression and, and anxiety again, or my body would like go through something because I was just fighting myself. And there came a point where I was like, it's not worth it. It's actually easier to listen to that voice and to trust myself than it is to ignore it and try and get everybody else's approval. So I think I've become more of that progressively over time. Through not listening to it? Through learning that when I don't listen to it, I get hurt. Yes. So seeing the impact of what happens when you don't trust that inner voice, if you don't listen to the instinct and looking back and realizing that actually the right path is to listen to it, even if it's driving you in a direction that doesn't quite make sense at the time. Absolutely. I mean, I think many of us experience this when, for example, we're in relationships or friendships or in connection with people and we're like, we have like these red flags and we're like, oh, I don't know, there's something, but we can't pinpoint it. And we ignore that voice and then something happens and we're like, I should have listened to that voice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can all resonate with that. I think that's a very common thing Mm -hmm. that people experience. Amazing. Thank you so much for talking through your three moments of instinct. You are such an intuitive being and it's really, really inspiring to listen. And I hope that everyone listening to this feels super inspired to tune into that inner voice and listen to their gut instinct a little bit more. We end in a similar way to how we opened. So another instinctual and honest check in point of how you're feeling right now. Well, I'm definitely feeling more awake. Like I'm feeling appreciative for the opportunity to talk about this with you and also very appreciative of the ways that I've learned to trust myself and like telling these stories and kind of thinking back to moments of my life and thinking, yeah, like you really can trust yourself. Like you've demonstrated that to yourself again and again. And something that I often talk about is the importance of building self-credibility. And that's like the antidote to like trying to get credibility from other people by trying to earn their approval. When we get to do what I've just been able to do with you now is like looking back, thinking back, pinpointing decisions and why I made them and realizing at each moment, like I built, I built this self credibility. I built, I built this like self trust and these receipts with myself of like, yeah, remember when that happened and you did that? Yeah. That shows that you can really trust yourself. So I feel very appreciative and just full of gratitude thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode 
If you enjoyed it, share it with someone that you know, hit subscribe and follow us for more conversations on instinct, energy and life-changing moments. See you soon.